Grace, mercy, and the peace of our God be with us this day. As we mark Memorial Day weekend, as we celebrate all that Jesus has done for us. And as we conclude our series that we've been in, working our way through 1 Peter, recognizing the, the hopeful message of Peter's text, uh, of this letter, of this epistle. But here we are still in the virtual world in our time of worship. This week, President Trump encouraged churches to be considered essential, which is good. Many of us as members of this church or members of churches have long wondered how churches could be excluded from this list of essential businesses, essential places. I noticed that on the, the California roadmap, whatever it's called, um, with the phases and the things laid out in terms of, of uh, what was happening, the churches are not till phase three, and yet a lot of other places and businesses are starting to open. And I noticed on the Santa Clara County website describing what the county's implementing and what the county's trying to do that some of the things that they're suggesting or offering, here's some resources for mental health. Here's some resources for um, how you're feeling, if you're discouraged, if you're having struggles, if you're having problems in your family. But that's part of what we do. It's not our core business. We're about sharing the gospel of Jesus. But the gospel, as it expands into our lives, we find relief from Stress, we find peace in our relationships. There's a lot about being the church that makes it essential for the lives of believers. So we're encouraged by that. Encouraged by what the federal government is trying to encourage the states to do. But there's so many questions about it. You know, when the news first hit, we got a text message from a friend of ours who's in uh, Nevada, and he's been, you know, wondering the same things, and we've been in communication with him, and his encouragement was, you guys should just be able to do your thing, right? Which we want to do. We want to do our thing. We want to fill these pews with people and, and have the face-to-face -face conversations that, well, we, we remember having, right? But there's so many questions. We fill these pews with people, and then how does that work? What's the expectation that we would have for that? We want to encourage the safety of everyone. We want to have protocols in place for how to handle this. Will we do enough? Will we be ready? Will we think of every scenario that needs to be thought about ahead of time and acquire the things that we need to acquire? Will we have the supplies on hand? Will we, will we be prepared? And there's a two-word question that often comes up when, when you start to think about things like this. What if? Well, those are the first two words. And then what continues might be a long line of thinking. What if someone's been exposed but is asymptomatic and comes to this building and exposes a bunch of other people, and how does that work? What if we don't have what we need to supply people as they come in the door and make sure that all the surfaces are clean and, and that hands can be washed and nobody has to touch door handles? And What if we don't 
modify or, or monitor the traffic coming through the double doors and people get too close to each other? What if somebody feels uncomfortable because they were too close to a person or they're not sure of how we've prepared? What if? Those what ifs can create worry, stress, anxiety. So today as we look at 1 Peter chapters 4 and 5, we start with that idea of anxiety. We face anxiety. We carry anxiety. Chapter 5 or 7 tells us, cast your anxiety on Jesus. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. What burdens are you facing? Another translation says, cast your burdens on Jesus. What burdens are you facing? What are you carrying? Here again, Peter describes suffering, trial, anxiety, attack. His original audience for this epistle, it was a letter that Peter wrote to the earliest believers, some of the earliest believers, targeted toward churches in Asia Minor. It, um, it goes out and it talks several times in this text, in this book, in this letter, several times about suffering. The first century church was in the midst of the Roman world. And in the first century church in Asia Minor, it was a mix of Jewish people and non-Jewish people, Gentiles who have come to faith in Jesus, commingled together in this Roman pagan culture. There was a lot of pressure. There was a lot of suffering that they endured. There was persecution of these believers. They weren't told not to meet because of the potential of the spread of a virus. They were told not to believe in this one called Jesus. It's vastly different. We feel some pressure put upon the church from authorities not to gather, but we're not being told not to believe. We're not being told not to have faith in our God in this one called Jesus, and it's vastly different. But we do face our own problems and issues. Peter had made this point in chapter 4 at verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. Things are going to happen. There are tests we will endure. There will be struggles and strains in this broken world. It's not as if we, through faith, escape all the possible anxieties, trials, burdens that we might bear. In fact, this week, there was a couple of nights that I didn't sleep well. Woke up, not sure exactly what caused me to wake up, but then, and maybe you've experienced this, your mind starts going. Thoughts just invade what's going on, what's happening, and your sleep is completely interrupted. 
because so many thoughts, ideas, concerns, burdens keep coming. I tried to pray. That prayer was cut short, interrupted by what felt like the bombardment of my mind. I tried to think about blessings, and it, it didn't work. My mind kept returning to unfinished tasks, to problems to be solved or resolved, unsent messages, people who were waiting for me, things that I haven't done yet. All of those stresses of life. This week, Gina had an AP test on Thursday. And as a family, we are grateful it is over. <laughs> and it was a burden. It was stressful for her. It was, there was some anxiety involved in this looming test for, for weeks. Really, for the whole school year, this test has been looming. And AP World History is hard enough in a regular classroom experience with regular everyday instruction, it was exceedingly complicated and difficult in this distance learning space that we've been in for two months. It was hard. And it was hard to have confidence in it and to know because this test was going to be different from every other world history AP test that uh, has been taken. So it was stressful. Other issues that we face... Not this week, but in general, and people generally face. How are we doing financially? Can we pay all of our bills? How's the future going to look? What's life going to be like in five years from now, in ten years from now? How's my health going to go as I maybe get older, as I deal with certain things? How about my relationships? How about my parents' health? How about my kids' future? How about the future of our society? How about the future of the church? We get burdened and worn down by so many things as people. Verse 8, immediately after casting all your burdens and anxieties on him because he cares for you, we see these words, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. It was probably Tuesday or Wednesday night that I realized that this text was coming and I'm awake in the night and I felt like the devil was prowling around like the roaring lion and pouncing on me in the night. And that always before I found out that I lost an uncle this week, suddenly. My burden with that is more about um, sympathy for my, my mom in particular, to lose a sibling, um, my cousins who lost their dad. I, I feel the loss, but I was not close with this uncle, so my grief is really for other people and the losses that they're feeling. There's anxieties, there's burdens, there's things that are weighing us down. Are you burdened today? Does your mind get stuck there. Cast your burdens, your anxieties on Jesus, because Jesus cares. He cares about the details of our lives. He cares about all the, 
all the things that we're dealing with, all the problems that we face, and he can handle it. He can. He does. It works. To lay our burdens on Jesus, to submit them to him in prayer. The thing about casting our anxieties and burdens on Jesus is this. It's an action of trust. It's an understanding of his grace and mercy toward us. But we have to leave it with him. We have to cast it as in throw it. Like the casting into the sea of the things at the Boston Tea Party. Not the casting of the fishing lure into the water. Because that just keeps coming back. Sometimes that's how I'm casting burdens. God, take this thing that, you know, well, if you could just do it this way, and, I, oh, yeah, I'm still going to worry about the timing of it and the, oh, here it is back in my hand again. No, you take that and deal with it. God, I, I'm going to trust you in this, except I really want to make sure that this happens by um, next week because, you know, the other person who's dealing with this and thinking about it is, oh, here it is back in my hand. Is that how you're casting your burdens, your anxieties on, on the Lord? Are you reeling them back in? Are you hanging on? Too often we do that. Backing up a verse in 1 Peter chapter 5, we find words that encourage us to be humble. Humble yourself before him. Verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. This is how we cast our burdens onto the Lord. We humble ourselves. Humility is not weakness. Our culture, our world, our society looks at those who are humble as if they were weak. We're encouraged to to be the strongest to be the smartest, to be the fastest, and if we're not, to put on the, the facade as if we were. To be confident, to be bold, and to, to walk into the room with a sense of ownership and pride. Don't admit defeat or weakness. Keep a stiff upper lip. But humility is recognition of our limitations. I can't do everything. Those are some freeing words, actually. We all have needs. We all have failures. We all have weaknesses. And as much as we try to hide those things and whitewash over them, they still exist and they're still there. Being humble is is admission that we need help, that we have burdens, and humility is helpful. It gives us balance and perspective in our lives, and humility allows us to walk with God. Micah chapter 6, verse 8. He has shown you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy And to walk humbly with your God. Those are great words. Walk humbly with your God. Walk with God, yes. But humbly. With the right 
attitude, with a recognition of our need for God, for his grace. We receive his grace with open hands and humble hearts. He gives grace to the humble, James chapter 4 says, which is a quote from Proverbs 3. We walk with God in humility, not that he humiliates us, but it's a recognition of his power, his authority, his control, his wisdom, his might, his power. I think I already said power. It's a, it's a, it's a right perspective of our relationship with God to walk humbly with him, to accept the things of our lives that are from him, these tests and trials and burdens, not that we continue to carry them, but we don't resent God for them. And a recognition that allows us to go, with, go to him with our burdens and seek his help and his grace. We do that as we trust in the Lord. The last verse of chapter 4 said this, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Trust in the Lord. We often try to go our own way, right? To solve our own problems, to resolve our own issues, to cure the causes of our suffering. We trust in our own abilities. Many, many times. Backing up to the burdens that we're bearing and the not casting or reeling back in, then how do I try to solve that? When I've reeled it back in and it's back in my hand, whom do I trust? Often I trust in me. Often that's what's keeping me up at night. What do I have to do? How can I accomplish? What, what effort do I need to make? We're good at trusting on ourselves because we've been let down by other people and because we are really the only people we can control. I'm the only person that I can ultimately control. So I trust in me because I know what I can do. I know what I will do. So we go our own way, but faith leads to trust in God. He has earned our trust through his blessing, by blessing us with a Savior who suffered in our place, one who cares and who bears our burdens and anxieties. He gives us mercy and grace, forgiveness and freedom, and calls us to this trust relationship with him. So we entrust our souls to him, the faithful creator. That's what the verse says in 19. The word soul there in Greek is Psyche, which is where we get the word like psyche, the root of psychology and all the psych words. Psyche isn't simply our souls. It's more than that. It's a word that means our lives, our, our spirits, our minds, our whole life that we can entrust to God. Proverbs chapter 3 may be familiar words. Trust in the Lord with all of your hearts and lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your path. 
We can trust in God through all of the things that we deal with. The song that we just shared, The Way, starts with, you know, through every trial, through every circumstance. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And so we can trust him, him. We can follow him. We can receive what he wants to give to us. And we can trust him with our unknowns. We can trust him with our future. We can trust him with all of these sufferings and burdens that we bear. And through it all, we are called to do good. Entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. That's the very end of verse 19. Do good. Because helping others is healing. You ever had one of those experiences where maybe you were having a bad day? Bad mood, frustrated by things. Maybe something's on your mind and it's hard to shake. Maybe things didn't go so well with your job, whatever the situation was. But then there's an opportunity that drops in your lap. Someone else needs your help. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a complete stranger. And you seize that opportunity. You help that person. You, you listen to someone share problems and burdens and anxieties. You text somebody back that just needs a word of encouragement. You come alongside maybe one of your kids and, and you offer that hope and help. You see a neighbor who's trying to do something and you, you help them accomplish a task, whatever it was. Have you had that experience where at the end of it, you remember the mood that you were in, but you're not there anymore? I've had that experience where I've been burdened, frustrated, even angry, and by getting stepping out of that into somebody else's situation, into somebody else's life, and, and helping... I received blessing in that. Perspective that can be gained. Sometimes we get so hung up on the things that we're dealing with that we lose sight of everybody's got something going. Or we feel like our problems are the worst things that anyone's ever experienced until maybe we notice somebody that's got it worse than me. And we can do good and we can share what we have. And generosity is good for the soul. Through all of this, and to conclude this series, we can rejoice in hope. Peter again and again comes back to this idea of hope. Hope is so encouraging. Hope is something that's vital in our lives. Hope is is what we have through the dark world, knowing that there's a light at the end. Even through suffering, we can serve. And in doing good, we can bring glory to Jesus, our Savior, our Redeemer. Acting in faith displays this living hope that we have. And God will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you, as it says in verse 10. We have hope. We can do good. 
by faithfully following our resurrected Savior, Jesus. Amen.